Good morning again. Welcome back to Community Church. As always, it's so good to see you. Thank you guys for coming and Merry Christmas. It's a beautiful time of year and it's so good to have you here. And I don't know, it kind of actually looks like we might get us a white Christmas this year. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the weather or not, but uh, it's certainly going to be cold enough. And so whatever falls from the sky is likely to be snow or sleet or something like that. But uh, on that note, we're still planning on having our Christmas service. So we'll still plan on being here Christmas morning, worshiping our Lord. But should we get snow or ice or whatever that sticks around and keeps the roads bad, uh, I'll post a cancellation notice on Facebook. So please follow Community Church there on Facebook. I'll also send out a message on our group me thread as well uh, but even if we do end up having to cancel our christmas morning service uh, i'm still planning on going live on facebook christmas morning with the message of christ and so you're welcome to tune into that if we can't be here but i'm hoping for a white christmas evening so uh, i don't know that that's going to happen but uh, anyway I would love a white Christmas, but I would also love to be here Christmas morning worshiping with you all. But last week, we took a um, brief look into the life of Joseph from Matthew chapter 1, who Matthew tells us is a just man. But this morning, we're going to be continuing our um, look into the nativity narrative of Christ, you could say. But this time, we're going to look at it from Mary's perspective. Uh, the angel Gabriel tells us that Mary was blessed among women. And so, and then on Christmas morning, of course, we're going to be focusing our attention on our Savior. We're going to be talking about Jesus the Christ. We're going to be talking about Emmanuel, God with us as we worship our Lord who has come and who is indeed coming again. But just a reminder, these studies that we're doing during the Advent season, during the Christmas season, over the course of these three weeks leading up to and including Christmas, they're not intended to be exhaustive uh, in any way. So we're, we're not going to take the time to hit on a lot of the details or differences that we see between Matthew's birth narrative and Luke's birth narrative. For example, uh, you know, of course, we see in Matthew, we, we see him give us um, the story of Joseph's dreams. You know, we see four of those dreams in the early chapters of Matthew. We see that Matthew tells us about the wise men and the star in the east. But Luke, however, tells us about angels or uh, Gabriel, rather, uh, the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. Luke also tells us about the shepherds in the field. He tells us about the heavenly hosts that were praising God and that there was no room for them in the inn and things like that. We're just not going to have time to go into detail in all of those areas, but our focus is going to be primarily and most importantly on uh, what both of the gospel writers give to us, and that's the account of Jesus Christ, God's own son, who came to dwell with us. And so my hope is that each of these studies will draw us closer to Christ. I hope that they will direct our hearts to worship him as we understand a little bit more how the mercy and justice of Joseph, for example, uh, that reminds us of the cross, the very place where justice and mercy met, where our sin was justly punished, but Christ took that punishment for us and gives us in return mercy. We see that in the life of Joseph. But in Mary, we see another interesting trait of our Lord. Dr. Philip McClarty said that the only person constant in the life of Jesus from cradle to grave was Mary. And that's a good insight. Mary was there at his birth, Luke 2, 7, of course. She was also there all during his adolescence. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Mary followed Christ all throughout his adulthood, 
We see that in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And of course, Mary was right there looking up at her son, her Savior, our Savior at his cross in John 19, 25 through 27. But it's more than that. Mary was also still there after Christ ascended. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. She was there with the disciples in the upper room, along with her other sons, waiting on the Holy Spirit of her Holy Son. Man, what a picture of Christ we see in the life of Mary. She never left her son. Even though he was despised and rejected by men, Mary was faithful. She was that constant figure in the life of Christ from Bethlehem all the way to Calvary and beyond. And I believe, I truly believe that Mary was filled with his spirit that day in the upper room at Pentecost along with the other 12 apostles and all of those who were present there that day in the upper room. I believe she was filled with the spirit at that time as well. Now, a side note here, I think this is important to point out because uh, there's a distinction, right? We should note that they were filled with the spirit during that time at Pentecost because the Holy Spirit had already come upon Mary, the word says in Luke 1, 35. And so I think we see evidence of her salvation in the prayer that we're going to be looking at today, okay? We're going to be uh, looking at some evidences of what I believe to be Mary's salvation, but also the disciples, they were also just filled with the Spirit uh, on Pentecost because they had already received the Holy Spirit, when Christ breathed on them, as recorded in John 20, verse 22. So this was a filling at Pentecost. This was a empowering of the Holy Spirit that they had already received. And that's an important distinction to make, at least for doctrinal purposes. But Mary, she was faithful to Christ. She was faithful to our Lord, just like Christ is faithful to us. Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us, and he will give us his gift of the Holy Spirit as well if we repent and believe in him by faith. So we do see glimpses of Christ even in the lives of his earthly parents. We see justice and mercy and faithfulness modeled by Joseph and Mary as sort of a shadow of the perfect justice, the perfect peace and perfect faithfulness that we find in Christ, our Lord and their Son. So all right, let's have a word of prayer here and we'll get into our text this morning. Thank you, Father, again for this an amazing portion, portion of text that we're going to be looking into today. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the nativity narrative. Thank you, Lord, for the birth of our Savior. Well, Lord, it's our pleasure to look into uh, the scriptures this morning and learn more about your advent, learn more about your faithfulness and your justice and your mercy toward us, Lord. So as we get into the text this morning, please give us through the power of your spirit, wisdom and understanding so that we can know how these truths apply to our life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So this morning we're going to be reading a lot of scripture, okay, which, by the way, is never a bad thing. But we're going to be focusing our attention, our attention particularly on verses 46 through 55 of Luke chapter 1. But I'm going to get started reading back in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, 
She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of our Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then our portion of text this morning, we're going to be studying, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imaginations of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. All right. And so as I mentioned, our focus is going to be on verses 46 through 55. But I wanted to go back and read the birth narrative portion of Luke chapter 2 so that we can establish our context here this morning before getting into the study. And so there are a few things that we need to sort out before we get into our verse-by-verse study. So this portion of the text here that we're going to be looking at this morning, again, verses 46 through 55, is often called the Magnificat. Maybe you've heard that. That's Latin for, my soul magnifies the Lord. We see that right there in verse 46. But it's also called the Song of Mary even though scripture actually never says that Mary sang. But it's one of the four hymns or hymns of Christmas that is commonly known uh, in scripture that we find in the first two chapters of Luke. And so the first hymn you could say would be Mary's Magnificat. That's the one we're looking at today. The second hymn is Zechariah's Benedictus. You can find that in verses 67 through 79 of Luke 1. Benedictus is Latin for blessed. And then the third hymn is the angels Gloria in excelsis Deo. Okay, we find that in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Of course, 
Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's Latin for glory to God in the highest. And then the last hymn that we see is the fourth hymn. That's Simeon's Nuc Dimittis. And that is really, uh, it's called Now You Let Depart. That's what Nuc Dimittis means. That's in Luke 2, 28 through 32. So the reason it's named that is because you'll remember when Simeon saw Christ, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And so that's where we get that title. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering, why all the Latin? <laughs> why do we see all of this Latin verbiage here? Well, that's because it actually comes from one of the earliest manuscripts of the Bible called the Latin Vulgate. And you'll see that if you look through your notes in the scriptures. And Vulgate is Latin for version. So that just means it's the Latin version of scripture. Okay, This version of the Bible was translated by an early saint named Jerome. He lived around the 4th century A.D. And it's supposed that he did this, meaning translated the scriptures into Latin because Latin was increasingly becoming the common uh, language of the day, certainly among Christians at that time. And so what Jerome did was he translated the old Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Old Testament, into Latin. And he also translated the Greek New Testament into Latin as well. So that's just one of those, so now you know, kind of a things, right? But um, if we were to outline our portion of Scripture today, verses 46 through 55, I think we could do it like this. We would outline it like this. 46 through 48, we see Mary rejoicing in her God. We see her thanking him for the privilege of bringing the Messiah into the world. And we see her thanking the Lord for saving her. Notice that Mary calls God my Savior. So in verses 46 through 48, we see Mary rejoicing. And then in verses 49 through 50, we see Mary glorifying. She glorifies God for his might, for his holiness, and for his mercy. And then in verses 51 through 53, we see Mary prophesying. She prophesies for God about the righteous work of his Messiah and how one day he's going to fulfill his word and set all things right. And then lastly, in verses 44 through 45, we see Mary actually acknowledging fulfilled prophecy. She talks about the faithfulness of God in the prophecies and promises that he has kept. She remembers how God has kept his promise to Israel through his promise to Abraham all the way back from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, which, by the way, say this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. So in Christ, in Israel's Messiah, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hang on to that thought. We'll come back to that later. But now some believe that this prayer of Mary here is actually modeled from the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to read that for you, but I would recommend that you go back and read that prayer for yourself, okay? Because there are some very interesting similarities and a lot that you can learn uh, from Hannah's prayer. But I'll give you the uh, Cliff Notes version of it, okay? The background to Hannah's prayer is basically this. Hannah had prayed to God for a son, and she vowed that if God gave her a son, 
she would dedicate him to the Lord. And so the Lord remembered her and he blessed her with a son. And she named that son Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. Okay. And that's because Hannah had asked for a son from the Lord and God heard her. And so that's why she named him Samuel. But Hannah's prayer is really a prayer of thanksgiving where she, much like Mary here, rejoices in the Lord and glorifies God for his holiness. And of course, she speaks of his sovereignty over the entire earth and how one day the adversaries of God are going to be broken into pieces and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. In other words, she looks to that time also when the righteous God of the earth will set all things right. So we see some similarities here. So I do think that the prayer of Mary in some sense echoes the prayer of Hannah in a number of ways, but the prayers of both of these women, Hannah and Mary, are really echoes of their own heart, okay? Because Hannah was blessed because God remembered her and gave her a son. But Mary, of course, we know from Scripture is highly favored. The Lord was with her and she was called blessed among women. And so both of these women were in fact blessed by God. They were both women of humility and faith and their gratefulness to God for his blessings. It really rings out through both of these prayers. Okay. But I want us to take just a little closer look into something else so that we don't miss the significance of their sons. Okay. I'm talking about the sons of Hannah and the sons of Mary. Hannah gave birth to Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. Samuel was a priest. Samuel was Israel's last judge. Samuel was Israel's first prophet. Okay? And the time of Samuel, that covers the life of the first king of Israel, Saul. And it ends with the last days of David, who was, until this time, the greatest king of Israel. And I say that because, of course, we know Mary gave birth to Jesus the Christ. Listen to how Scripture describes him. God incarnate who was called mighty prophet, Luke 24, 19. He's called great high priest, Hebrews 4, 14. He's called king of kings, 1 Timothy 6, 15. Remember Samuel, a priest, last judge, first prophet, served during the time of the, Israel's first king. Now listen to how the scriptures describe Christ, the great high priest, mighty prophet, king of kings, judge of the world, Acts 17.31. And so the prayers of Hannah and Mary, they do parallel in many, many ways because one son actually typified the other. Okay? In other words, the lesser son, Samuel, points us to the greater son, Jesus, who is the Christ. And so God remembered Hannah's prayer. He blessed her with a son, Samuel. And so Hannah offers up this prayer of remembrance, this prayer of thanksgiving. But Mary's prayer is really a little different in that it's both a response and a remembrance because Mary never prayed for a son, but she did praise God for his son. And she remembered the faithfulness of God all the way back to her fathers. And so now the time has come for the fulfillment of that promise. Okay. The virgin is now with child. The Messiah has come just like God said he would. And I'm thinking about all of this and I'm going, man, thank you, Lord, for sending us a savior. You know, we've just talked about prophets and priests and kings and all of that. The Lord sent us a savior. Why? Because he knew we were so unfaithful. He knew we were in need of saving, right? And so he sent us a savior. He knew that even though we were clueless and drowning in our sin and far from God, he sent his son to save us because he is faithful. 
because he loves us. And even while we were yet sinners, Scripture tells us Christ died for us. Listen to what John says, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 9. He says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Amen. And so here we are. We're at that moment. He's here, and Mary begins her prayer like this in verses 46 and 47. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. That means declares his greatness. She said, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So, look, this prayer is very poetic in nature, all right? And some scholars actually view it as the first piece of poetry we see in the New Testament. However, I personally see this prayer as more prophetic than poetic, okay? Meaning that, this is more of a proclamation of truth than it is an expression of prose. Okay, but of course, it could be both at the same time, right? But, I mean, again, you should also know that I disagree with those who call this a song. Okay, I'm just being honest. Because the word says, Mary said, right there in verse 46. It does not say Mary sang. So, do with that what you want. Okay, but what matters more is that is what Mary said, not necessarily how she said it. Anyway... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so these first two verses, what they do is they tell us that Mary knew, in fact, that she was a sinner. And how does, how does it tell us that? How do we know that? Well, because only sinners need a Savior, right? And Mary has just said, my Savior. Okay, so even though she was highly favored, even though she was blessed among women, she knew that her own righteousness would never, ever merit heaven. And so in her humility, Mary understands her desperate need and she magnifies the Lord, her God, her Savior. I just love how Mary begins this prayer because she begins this prayer with praise just like Jesus taught his disciples to do over in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. But remember last week when we saw Joseph, he was behaving like Christ as well, wasn't he? And we said, you know, a lot of times in our world, we say like father, like son. But in Joseph's case, you could say like son, like father, right? Meaning Joseph was employing some of the same characteristics as Jesus. Well, here we could say of Mary like son, like mother, because Mary is also employing some of the same characteristics we see in Christ as well, because her prayer does not begin with some sort of religious pretense, for example. No, it begins with praise. Mary's worshiping. This is a prayer of worship, and she worships from her very soul. And I just love that because there's so much that we can learn from this. Because how many times do you and I fail to even worship God with our lips or to worship God by raising our hands, right? Much less from our soul, much less by lifting our hearts toward heaven. Mary's soul is on fire right here with the magnificence of her Lord. Her soul is magnifying the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ is the biggest thing in Mary's soul. Why? Well, it's because she has magnified him there, right? And of course, I think this is where we get convicted. This is where we should be prompted to ask ourselves, where do I point my magnifying glass? What has been magnified in my soul, right? What am I currently looking at in my life that would make me want to enlarge it so that I can see it in much greater detail? What is that thing? Shouldn't it only be Christ? 
You see, Mary's spirit is soaring with joy at the hope that she now has in her Savior. And look, I get it. Mary and Joseph's circumstances were suspect, at least on the surface, right? And in the eyes of the world, it was suspect. But Mary is still rejoicing. Man, what a great lesson for us here to not find our joy in the things of the world. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say, right? If I'm struggling to find joy in my life, then I've got to ask myself, when was the last time my soul was on fire for the Lord? When was that? When was the last time my spirit soared for Christ? I don't know. Maybe it's time that I took the magnifying glass off the worries of the world and put them squarely on Christ. Maybe I take the magnifying glass off of my circumstances, off of my worldly desires, and put it back on Christ. Can I truly say, can I truly say that my soul magnifies the Lord? Let me encourage you this morning, believer, to not allow yourself to be captivated by anything else other than Christ. Don't let it happen. Do not magnify your problems. Do not magnify your pleasures. Magnify Christ. Verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. That's right. They will call her blessed among women. Luke 1, 28. They won't call her queen of heaven, holy virgin, mother of the church, holy mother of God, right? At least we're not supposed to because Mary never, ever elevated herself to that level. Certainly scripture never does. Only the Catholic church does that. Okay, guys, I'm not trying to be mean. I really am not. I'm trying to be honest. and I just want to be biblical. Okay, so my prayer for our Catholic friends is that they would repent of that idol worship. And only magnify Jesus Christ in their soul, just like Mary did. And look, I get it. I realize where I live. I live among cities named St. Louis, St. Charles, St. James, St. Peter's, St. Clair. And we could go on and on. It's very, very Catholic here. But I just pray and in love, I challenge my Catholic friends to go grab a Bible and read it for yourself. Do that and stop taking the priest's word for it. Just like I challenge each and every one of you to go grab a Bible and read it for yourself and do not take my word for it. It's the same challenge. Mary did not elevate herself before God. She humiliated herself before God. She said God has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And so Mary considered herself humble. She considered herself to be a servant of God. And lowly servants of God understand that they deserve nothing. And that all of the blessings that they enjoy are freely given by God's grace. It's by his regard, as Mary said, not by our works. And so when I realize that God owes me exactly nothing except hell, and that I absolutely deserve none of his blessings, not one, right? Then when he does bring me his blessing, I can receive that blessing with great joy. I can serve him in that blessing. I heard a quote. One time of that great theologian, Mike Tyson. Maybe you've heard of him. One of my favorite quotes of all time from Mike Tyson is this one. He says, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. This is a great quote. But he had another quote. I want to share it with you this morning. It's worth repeating. He said, sometimes I get in my head and I think I'm somebody. And then I'm easily offended. But when I know I'm nobody, I could never be offended. What a great quote. 
What a great way to describe humility. And so again, I'm going to emphasize this point one more time. There should be absolutely no pretense in the child of God, okay? Because we are not entitled to anything because we do not deserve anything, all right? And we touched on this last week from the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, where John tells us very plainly, it does not matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter what lineage you've come from or how hard you work to earn righteousness or who you're married to. None of that matters. Okay. Only those who have received Christ by believing in his name are born of God. John 1 12. And so Mary considered herself to be a lowly maidservant, which shows us that all of those, everyone who comes to Christ by faith are going to do so in humility in humility, with an attitude of serving their newfound king. But Mary knew this was a big deal. Okay, this blessing was going to be a generational blessing. And from now on, people would call her blessed. Amen. We don't want to belittle Mary. We're not trying to do that. Mary, in fact, is blessed among women, not above them. Okay, she's never to be prayed to. She's never to be exalted above her humble self-title of blessed. There's no doubt that Mary served the Lord and that she received his blessings, but she is not to receive our prayers, nor are we to ever ask for her blessing. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So Mary's worship continues here with this acknowledgement of God. I mean, clearly Mary knows who is mighty, She knows who's great and who is holy and that this great thing that's been done for her is in fact the greatest thing that could have ever been done, right? Almighty God has sent his Messiah into the world through her womb. Wow. You see, Mary understands that she is a recipient of grace and she needed the grace of God just as much as you and I need it. So Mary's praise is a result of having been graced by a holy God with a blessing that's going to bring grace to the entire world. Because as Mary says, his mercy reaches down through time, right, toward those who fear him, according to the next verse. And so as you and I experience these great things of God, his grace upon grace, right, and as he fills fills us with his spirit, just like he filled Mary's womb with his son, then let's be reminded of Mary's words here and fill heaven with our praise. She is praising God because of his grace. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen. So we should all thank the Lord for his provision of mercy. Listen to these scriptures. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. And so this truth stands all throughout the ages from generation to generation, just like Mary said it would. And so the good news for us is this. If I want mercy, I can have it. If I want mercy, I can have it. I just need to do as scripture tells me to do and fear the Lord. Psalm 33, 8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Amen. And then a very popular verse from Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, guys, if I want the mercy of God, I can have it. But it will only come to those who humble themselves and fear God. Right? God's desire is to give us mercy. That's his desire. And you know what mercy is? It's not getting what you deserve. Right? Grace is getting something you do deserve or you don't deserve. Let me get this right. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Okay? And so God desires to give us mercy. He doesn't want to give us what we deserve. In fact, Jesus says, you know what? Go and learn what this means. Do you remember that from Matthew chapter 9, verse 13? Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6, 6. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he tells everybody, go learn what that means. Go learn what that means. So look, our problem is not a lack of mercy. Our problem is not God's desire to give it. Okay, our problem is our lack of desire to fear the God who can give it. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Look closely here at this verse and notice how feeble we are. I want you to notice how ignorant we are. What I mean is, God, I mean, guys, pride does nothing more. Pride does nothing more than puff up our own imaginations. Did you see that? But it can never alter the truth of God or overcome the strength of his arm. All throughout history, people have come up with very imaginative ways to keep loving their sin and keep ignoring the truth of God, right? I mean, some prefer to imagine that there is no God. That's what they say, right? So in, in that case, nothing can really be sin. If there's no God, then there's no sin, right? How, however, other people, they prefer to say, well, there's a God, but everyone is going to heaven, okay? Well, that does nothing more than excuse sin either. That's all that does. Now, trust me, you can feel free to imagine whatever you want to imagine about God. You can feel free to be an atheist or you can feel free to be a universalist, but you just need to know that you're only imagining things. Okay? You're, the truth of God's not going to change just because you refuse to believe it. And one day, the strong arm of the one true God of heaven is going to scatter every proud heart that does not find its refuge in Jesus Christ. Did you see that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said in John 14, 6. And so we got to be careful here, okay? Because pride is what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. And pride is what will keep you and I out of heaven, right? We cannot allow our prideful hearts to capture our imaginations and miss the truth of God. That's what's going on here. We need to fear the Lord. We need to receive his mercy, repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. Verses 52 and 53. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, some believe that this could be a reference to God elevating David to Saul's throne. That's a possibility. But as we consider the similarities here to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel, I think this could apply to her as well. Because Hannah, if you'll remember, she had a husband by the name of Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. Okay, one was Hannah, and the other one was Penina, or Penina, however you want to pronounce that. But 1 Samuel, 1, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that Penina, or Penina, had children, but Hannah had no children. 
So what we see happening here is God exalting Hannah in her humility by giving her a son. So it could apply to her as well. But this truth that we see here, it's very applicable to us as well generally because God has shown us time and time again all throughout history that he's going to exalt whomever he pleases. Yes, but get this. He's already told us in his word that it pleases him to exalt the lowly. Isn't that great? God is pleased to exalt humble, God-fearing people. It pleases him. And therefore, the mighty in this world, those who are mighty in this world, are absolutely mistaken if they take their security in their thrones, right? Because it's those people who humble themselves. It's those who hunger and thirst for God that are going to be filled with the good things that we see in this verse. But it's those who try to get through their life by exalting themselves without ever giving one serious thought toward God, pridefully thinking that, well, I can just provide everything I need for myself by filling up on the pleasures of this world. It's those people that will find themselves sent away empty, as Scripture says. Guys, narcissism is huge in our culture. It is huge in our culture. But narcissism cannot fill your hungry soul. Only the good things of God can do that. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And so the word that's used for helped here, it literally means to lay hold of. That word means to support. And so here Mary remembers the goodness of God to the people of Israel. His mercy is in fact enduring forever, just like he said it would in Psalm 136. But look, his people were not always obedient, right? But God was forever faithful. God never let them go. And that's the important thing to remember. God had hold of them. He was their support, just like this word says. And so Mary remembers the times that God did not give his people what they deserved. Amen. He was merciful. And so she takes hope in the promises that God has made to his people Israel. And so just as his mercy endures forever, so do his promises. His promises endure forever. Look, God's not done with the nation of Israel. He's going to fulfill every promise that he's made to them in his time and by his mercy. But one of the main reasons, one of the main purposes for the nation of Israel was to bring the Messiah into the world. That was one of their main purposes. And now Mary had just found out that God's using her to do that. Right? And so... Were it not for God's mercy to his people, Israel, had he not laid hold of them, had he not held them up in support, had God not been faithful, then there would be no hope for a Messiah. And were it not for God's mercy through his Messiah, guys, there would be no hope for you and me, right? But praise God, he is faithful. God is faithful even when we are not. And God has kept his covenant to Abraham. Listen to this. Genesis twenty-two eighteen says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so now God has sent his son to help, to lay hold of, verse 54, anyone from any nation who will receive him as their savior. And so just as Mary looks forward through her eyes of faith to the future fulfillment of the promises of God to her people, Israel, you and I, we can look backward through our eyes of faith to the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. 
He has come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the Savior of the world, He has come. And He has accomplished all that the Father sent Him to do. Therefore, you and I can rejoice in the mercy that He has already provided through the blood of His cross. Verse 55, and then we're done. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. I love this verse. How many of you remember this song from Sunday school? Maybe uh, from children's church when you were a kid. Let's see if I can sing it for you. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. Come on. I am one of them. How's it go? So let's all praise the Lord. Then it goes like left arm, right foot. Do the hokey pokey. Turn yourself around or something like that. I don't remember how the rest of that goes. But. The truth that you are learning in that song is found right here in verse 55. The promised Savior in Mary's womb did not just come for Israel. He came for you. And he came for me. Jesus Christ, the God-man. The God-man. The before Abraham was, I am in John 8, 58, has become the fulfillment of his own prophecy. And Christ will humble himself to the point of death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. Think about that. Let that sink in. No one, and I mean no one, has ever, ever been more lowly than Jesus Christ. No one has humbled themselves that much. Think of where he came from. He left the glories of his heaven to live a life of a pauper and lay down his life on a cross. Guys, Christ is the epitome of humility. And therefore, remember God exalts the lowly? Christ is the epitome of humility. No one has been more lowly than him. Therefore, God has exalted him high above all others. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Amen. But guys, this morning, I want you to focus on the faithfulness of God. Focus on that. Focus on the fact that God kept his covenant. Okay, he keeps his promises. Focus on the fact that he sent his promised Messiah. He did that. He sent his own son into this world for you. I hope you know that you are one of the people that Christ came for. He came for you. So let that truth get down into your heart and then let it spring up within you rejoicing in your spirit just like it did Mary's just like it did Mary's. And let it cause your soul, your very soul, to magnify the Lord, just like Mary's soul magnified the Lord. Here's what I'm saying. Guys, get humble. Get humble before the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Why? So that He will exalt you by His grace and give you the hope of His glory? That's why. God said that He would send a Savior, and He did that. He said his only son, but that baby in the manger grew up to become the Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you so that you can have the gift of eternal life. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, do not let another Christmas go by without receiving the gift of God. Don't let it happen. 
receive the free gift of Jesus Christ and have salvation for your soul. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that your soul can magnify Christ this Christmas season more than it ever has, so that your soul can soar for the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas. Get humble before Christ. Fear the Lord. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, we love you and thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the scriptures that you've given to us, preserved all throughout history, and will preserve all throughout eternity. Lord, we know that your, your word tells us that uh, your word is settled in heaven. And we believe that. So we know it's truth. We know it's eternal truth. It's something we can count on. It's something we can depend on. It's a truth that we can stand on. And you've told us, Lord, that you've sent your son into the world so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ might be saved. Lord, thank you for sending us a savior. You could have sent us a lot of other things, but we needed saving. You sent us your son to save us to take our son to the cross, to take our shame, to take our guilt, to take our sin and nail it there. In exchange, you give us mercy. You give us exactly what we don't deserve. Mercy. Freedom in Christ. Grace. Forgiveness. Hope. Joy. Unending joy. All of that can be found only in Jesus Christ, your son. My prayer, Lord, is that if someone is hearing this message and they don't have a relationship with you, that that would change right now. That they would turn from their sin, repent of that sin, trust in Jesus Christ alone, by faith, believing that he is the son of God who died on the cross for their sins and rose again the third day, giving them hope of eternal life if they would believe and receive that free gift of salvation. Pray they would do that even now. For those of us who do have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that this study in your word would challenge us to magnify only Jesus in our soul. Lord, if there is anything else that I'm trying to enlarge in my life other than Jesus Christ, I repent of that. I only want to magnify Christ. And I want to magnify him in my soul. Lord, I pray that we can all put Christ first in our life in every area of our life. Forsaking the pleasures of this world for the hope of heaven that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dwelling with us. Thank you for giving us a way back home to the Father. Thank you for your cross. Help us to focus on Christ. Help help us to focus on your faithfulness. Lord, you have, you've done it all. You've done it all. And we have no hope apart from Jesus. So we celebrate you, Lord, not just this season, but every day. You're Christ the King. You're Christ the Lord of all forever. And we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.